What if, in a strange way, that's me up on stage singing, even though at that moment up on stage singing was a woman? Getting discomfortable with envy. My whole life, I've struggled with envy. When you grow up with a lot of shame, you view the world as a hierarchy. So it makes sense that you covet the positions of people that you deem to be above you. You know, like Ryan Gosling when he got cast in Breaker High. Or even, and worst of all, your own friends when they achieve some kind of big career success or relationship success or when they win the lottery. I remember in university I got into a big debate with my professor about the difference between jealousy and envy. A lot of people think the words are interchangeable, just like a lot of people think empathy and sympathy are the same. In my understanding, Jealousy is when you worry that someone else is going to take what you already have. So jealousy is very common in relationships because you are jealous that these other guys or girls might tempt your partner away from you. Envy, on the other hand, is when you want something that somebody else has but you don't, like that guy's cute girlfriend. The frustrating thing about envy and jealousy is that nobody wants to feel that way. It's not like other bad habits where we get some kind of pleasure out of it. Everybody knows it's an extremely unpleasant feeling. I remember at one point years ago actually Googling how to overcome envy. And I remember that none of the answers were useful at all. It seemed like nobody really had any idea how to combat this all-too-common psychological issue. There's so many platitudes out there, so many quotes that are warning us against the dangers of envy, but yet no one offers any practical advice on how to actually avoid it. The assumption seems to be that we can just stop being envious or jealous through sheer willpower. Like as if we've chosen to feel this horrible feeling. But that's not the case at all. I think jealousy and envy are natural protective reactions. It's, it's a defense mechanism connected to survival, probably, to a sense of protecting our most important resources or trying to attain the resources that we think we need to survive. The resources that other people might have that we lack. So it's not an elective feeling. It's, it's not something that anybody is choosing to feel, nor is it some kind of character flaw. It's a very natural reaction to things like shame, comparison, and hierarchy, which are an abundant part of the culture that we've all been born into. That being said, I had a crazy experience recently where I managed to stop myself from feeling envy dead in its tracks. It's a new micro-ideology that I've been working on that I want to share with you in the hopes that it might help you to counteract your own envy as well. It started at a concert in Toronto. 
It was a band called the Queer Songbook Orchestra. They are a collective of musicians that do these kind of mini orchestral covers of pop songs and, and other songs that have meaning for the queer community. Either the writer or the singer was queer, or it was a song that was a meaningful part of someone's coming out process. If you get the chance to see the Queer Songbook Orchestra, I highly recommend it. They often tour Canada, and they've even released an album that you can get on Spotify and iTunes. They're, they're really great. In fact, they're so great that as I was sitting in the audience, I found myself getting envious. As you can probably guess from this podcast, I love performing, especially live in front of an audience. And they were kind of living out my dream. They were putting on an amazing show. Everybody in the band is so talented and funny. They do these great monologues and personal stories about coming out and people's relationships with certain music. And the whole show is just so captivating and wonderful. And I actually, I know and am friends with a few people in the band. So I suddenly found myself so upset to be getting envious. But I wasn't surprised either. I was like, of course I'm envious. I would, I would love to be on stage right now amusing this audience or having the audience fall in love with my incredible singing abilities that don't exist. Or even just having been any part in putting on such a great show or organizing a great show. But it was upsetting because I wanted to just enjoy the show. Not only that, but I wanted to be happy for my friends who were on stage. That's what's so insidious about envy. Instead of enjoying someone else's success, it turns it around on you and says, this is what you should have been doing. Why don't you have this thing? Why aren't you capable of that? It sucks all the joy out of life. And it, and it sucks all of the goodwill out of your friendships. So I started to think, what can I do in this moment to stop myself from ruining this great show with all this envy? And I was like, well, I mean, if I were on stage right now, if I were part of this show, then I wouldn't feel envious. And then I thought, well, what if I am on stage right now? What if, in a strange way, that's me up on stage singing, even though at that moment, up on stage singing was a woman. I started to think about how a lot of Buddhist teaching talks about humanity as one thing. The idea that we are all connected, that we, that we are all the same. I've always struggled with this concept because in my mind, I always thought, well, if I'm connected to everyone, then why can't I control everyone? I just, in my mind, to be connected to all humans, for, for, for the human race to be, quote unquote, one thing, that meant that I should have autonomy over that entire organism. But then I realized that's really not true. I am a human body, and my body is full of cells. And each cell has its own little part to play. No one single cell controls my entire body. But yet, when you put it all together, it's all one thing. When you think about it, 
my foot has no idea what my brain is up to. But my foot still gets to share in all of the most incredible achievements and spectacular failures of my brain. So I started to see how if you viewed the human race kind of like cells in a body, you could create a conceptualization where we are all, in fact, one. We are all the human race. And it worked. I'd actually, I convinced myself in that moment, yes, I am one with the human race. And those people on stage putting on that amazing show, they are also part of the human race. So we are all one thing. And therefore, in a way, I am sharing in their performance as a member of this group, humanity, and I am proud I am delighted. I, I am connected. I, I belong. And my envy evaporated instantaneously. And I just started giggling to myself and smiling. And I just, I had the greatest evening. I enjoyed the show so much by deciding that we were all one thing. I was able to feel completely in touch with the emotions and the talents of these performers, and I was able to feel the glow that they were feeling by putting on a show. I was able to revel in the laughter and the applause. I was part of all of it. And my envy was completely gone. And it blew my mind because it actually worked. For years, I've been looking for ways to get rid of envy. And in a split second, by changing my perspective and my, my ideology and my belief about being separate, I cured myself of envy. I think there are a few different ways you could conceptualize what I'm saying when I say that we are all one. Some people actually believe that the human race is literally connected somehow. This is the belief that we are all connected via some kind of God, perhaps on some kind of soul or spiritual level. I don't personally believe that, and it certainly doesn't seem to fit with Christian ideas of individual souls going to heaven or to hell but it certainly seems in keeping with Buddhism. I don't subscribe to any of the religious aspects of Buddhism. My, my knowledge is limited to the practical mindfulness meditation side of it, but it certainly seems like a lot of Buddhist thinkers hold this belief that we are all connected and that we are all one. In fact, I mean, I don't know if this is true, and I'm not sure if anybody knows if this is true or not, but I've often heard people say, that there's no way to determine at a microscopic atomic level where the atoms in my body end and the atoms of the atmosphere begin. And if that were true, then you could argue that you couldn't tell where the atoms in my body end and your body begins. It's just one big soup of atoms interconnected through different atomic forces and that the clear delineations between me, you, and everyone else 
are kind of arbitrary. Similarly, there are a lot of researchers and scientists who believe that the way we view the world is determined so much by survival that it probably doesn't accurately reflect reality at all. I mean, this makes complete sense to me. Everything that we have evolved has been based on keeping us alive. So the way that our sense apparatus takes in the world, the way that we view ourselves as these separate entities, is arguably the simplest way to protect whatever it is that makes us individual by seeing ourselves as this completely separate thing. And who knows, maybe we are completely separate things. But it's also possible that we are like the metaphor of waves in an ocean. The wave itself is a specific individual wave, but beneath it, it is connected to every other wave by the ocean. There's no proof of this per se, but you could argue that it's possible that humans are all connected in some way, but in order to maximize our ability to protect ourselves and to make sure that our wave survives is to see ourselves as separate. The way we see things and the way we experience time are completely different than the way physics and reality really are. It's just the simplest way for us to avoid the physical phenomenon that we call an oncoming train or that we call a snake by making it look like a point in time, a, a specific individual or particle. In fact, it makes me think about quantum mechanics and how some particles in certain circumstances appear to function more like a wave, and sometimes they appear to function more like an individual particle. I don't know anything about quantum mechanics, so this is probably totally wrong. But what if there was an analogous thing on a bigger level with humans and life itself, that in some instances we can be seen more like a particle, but from other perspectives beyond our sense apparatus, we could be seen more as a connected wave-like phenomenon. <laughs> I know a lot of you are probably rolling your eyes about now and being like, this is just total made-up bullshit, and you're not wrong. I'm not saying that I necessarily believe that or that that is true, but it's interesting to explore these possibilities because any way that I can come around to accepting that we might all be connected is super helpful for me to avoid envy. But at its most basic level, the version of this micro-ideology that is the least, you know, like, spiritual psychobabble is simply to think about humanity using the common psychological phenomenon of in-groups and out-groups. When we were hunter-gatherers, our tribe of 50 to 150 people was our in-group and any other tribe was seen as an outgroup. This is a classic phenomenon that has been seen all throughout history. It's a, it's a psychological bias. And we often create in-groups with our family, with our culture, with our country, with our society, with our school, with our sports team. And I think the sports team analogy is a perfect one for this micro-ideology, which is that when you're watching your sports team, which psychologically is your in-group, when a player on the field scores a touchdown, you are excited and elated and overjoyed as if you yourself 
had just scored that touchdown. You don't differentiate and feel jealous that that quarterback just got a touchdown. No, you're like, that's my team. And these are the fans. These are my people. And we all get to celebrate as if we all just achieved what that one human achieved. That's the power of a psychological in-group. And that's exactly what I did with the Queer Songbook Orchestra. I changed myself from being on a separate team and said, no, we're all on the same team. And they suddenly became my psychological in-group. I would now live and die by their successes and their failures. And it actually worked. That psychological trick immediately caused me to relinquish that envy and feel the same joy, the same accomplishment, the same achievement, the same success that they did. It was quite incredible. So what I'm arguing here is merely that we change our conception of what our in-group is such that it includes all of humanity. Every single human is part of our in-group. Every single human is a player on the football team that we are rooting for. So when other people succeed, it's our success. When other people fail, it's our failure. We all get to share in everyone's accomplishments when we view the world in this way. It's probably exactly what would happen if an alien race came to the Earth and tried to take it over. We would suddenly look at all humans as part of our in-group, as part of our team, and those aliens would then become the out-group towards which we focus all of our comparison, all of our competition, aggression. We might get envious of the incredible technology that these aliens have, but at least we would be connected to all of humanity. So it doesn't require any spiritual belief or any kind of pseudoscience. You can literally just exploit the natural human psychology of in-groups and out-groups to look at all of humanity in a new way. And I've been practicing this since that night. My gut reaction is still one of envy, but when I remind myself to reorient my thinking, I'm able to look at almost anyone in any situation and say, no, no, that person is you. You're all connected. Or at very least, they are part of your team. They are part of the human race that we all get to share in. Well, I didn't personally walk on the moon, but I walked on the moon through Neil Armstrong. I didn't literally direct 2001 A Space Odyssey, but I share in that through my fellow human and teammate, Stanley Kubrick. And it works. It really works. Not only does my envy evaporate, like I literally am able to trick whatever part of my brain is creating that envy, but it delights me. Every time I remember this microideology and use it and it works, I find myself just laughing. I'm like, this is amazing. This is hilarious. I can't believe that I'm able to actually change the reactions in my brain using these ridiculous little bits of ideology, these, these little ideological hacks, if you will. And given that there are no aliens, and even if there were aliens, I wouldn't really want to demonize them, 
So I've been trying to find an out-group to pit against the in-group that is all of humanity. Something that is totally benign. Something that we can put all of our comparison and skepticism and hatred and aggression towards. And the most benign outgroup I could come up with was rocks. If our in-group is all of humanity, our out-group is rocks. Fuck rocks, man. What have rocks ever done? Like, look at humans. We've, we've built societies. We have incredible technology. We cure diseases. We've even flown from one rock into space to another rock. Meanwhile, rocks are just sitting there, man. Fuck those guys. Sure, sometimes they get really warm and turn into lava and burst out of the earth and, like, kill us and destroy our cities. And, and sometimes rocks break in half and cause all this damage. But honestly, I would still much rather be on Team Human. Team Human all the way. Down with rocks. This micro-ideology has some other interesting implications. For example, it means that when I achieve something that I am proud of, I then have to relinquish my ownership of that achievement and share it with everyone. Anything that I personally achieve, I now have to see as a human achievement. Something that I did on the shoulders of all other humans and something that many other humans have just as much possibility to achieve in their own way. And that works for me. That feels true in a way and humbling and it, it, it feels healthy. And it, it motivates me in an interesting way because when I was trying to be a successful filmmaker, for example, I would look with envy at the careers of other directors and I would try to emulate what they were doing. But now I look at the achievements, at the, at the artwork of other creators, and I think, wow, that's amazing. I'm so glad that we, Team Human, did that. But now I personally, I don't want to do the same thing. We already did that. That's already been done. Whatever it is that I now want to work towards has to be totally unique and original. It has to be something different that we, as Team Human, have not yet accomplished. And that's really exciting. It's interesting because it makes you appreciate your unique contribution as part of Team Human. I want Team Human to act through me in a way that creates something that only I could create as part of Team Human. But then I recognize that I completely share in that success, in that achievement, with everyone else, and because of their support and their influence and their connection. Whereas when I felt completely separate from other humans, I found myself copying them and trying to be just like them. It seems counterintuitive, but somehow seeing myself as connected to everyone makes me that much more unique. I'm reminded of a quote by the American monk, writer, and activist Thomas Merton, who said, God does not give us graces or talents or virtues 
for ourselves alone. We are members of one another, and everything that is given to one member is given for the whole body. I do not wash my feet to make them more beautiful than my face. The shadow side is that you also share in all of the worst atrocities any human has ever perpetrated. And while I don't often focus on that, I don't look at serial killers in the news and think, yes, I achieved that through him. I actually think if you're forced to reckon with that, it's healthy to realize that the worst behavior of our species is something that we all share in. You know, we we use the word evil, as I've said before, to try to distance ourselves from the atrocities of other people because we say, well, I'm not evil. But the fact is, we are all human. I don't believe in evil. There is no difference between those people and us. And we all have the potential to do both incredible and terrible things. And I would rather own all of that and protect against it than to dismiss it and distance myself from something that is actually part of my nature, somewhere deep down inside. Another surprising angle of this micro-ideology is when people treat me badly. When someone treats me badly, but then I say to myself, that's me treating me badly, I have a lot more empathy for why it is that they might be treating me badly. I know that for me personally, I often do treat myself badly. When I say something really awful to myself in my own head, I usually understand why I said that and I forgive myself. But when another person speaks to me in the exact same way, I am offended. I can't believe that that person would have the nerve to talk to me like that. Who do they think they are? That is so rude. I I am so aggressively, judgmentally critical of someone speaking negative to me, whereas I'm not like that with myself. And when I view someone else as part of my team, then I'm much more empathetic. I understand that that person must be going through something, some kind of pain that they're feeling or a strong need that's not being met, and they just don't know how to communicate that properly. And I understand. I'm like, you know what? I do this to myself all the time. This happens. And it also makes all aggression, all violence, it, 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 you, you really see how counterintuitive and self-destructive that is when you're conceptualizing the entire human race as one giant in-group. It doesn't make sense to infight within the in-group when you recognize that we all have to work together to accomplish our mutual interests even though different parts of us may be at odds and may disagree. You can't really be self-righteous at all when you view all people and all of their actions and behavior as part of yourself, as part of your own team. Then you can't help but conceptualize it as a problem that you need to help fix. Wow, I'm really treating myself badly. I'm, I'm really lacking in self-care. I'm really beating myself up right now. I need to work with myself to figure out how to love myself, how to be whole. And that's exactly how I now want to try to look at all humans and all interactions and, and all aggressive situations as me trying to help me. 
And since I've been doing so much work on this whole self-love thing that I keep talking about, by conceptualizing everyone as me, I have a much greater understanding that I need to love everyone as well. To the same degree that I require unconditional love from myself, I recognize that I need to learn how to give unconditional love to every human because every human is me in a way. So the next time you find yourself feeling envy or coveting what someone else has, try to change your perspective so that you can see that in fact you are that person in a way. Or at very least, you're on that person's team. You share in whatever they've done, good or bad, whatever they've achieved, because you are human. You are part of the human race, just like they are. We are all on Team Human. Go, humans, go! Stupid rocks. What do rocks ever do? Rocks didn't do nothing. Rocks. <laughs>